right, so today's continuation of the hard sayings of Jesus starts with the 22nd verse, or 22nd chapter of Matthew, uh, verses 1 through 14. And of course, the hard verse um, is when Jesus says, that's what I mean when I say, many get invited, but only a few make it. And I, and I realized as I was looking at that this morning and, and, and during the week studying for it, it's like, yeah, you know, this is really kind of a hard verse, maybe, maybe for the traditional churches, but I think it's even kind of hard for us since we talk about Jesus being all-inclusive. What does he mean by that? So let's try to take that apart and see. Jesus responded by telling still more stories. God's kingdom, he said, is like a king who threw a wedding banquet for his son. He sent out the servants to call in all the invited guests, and they wouldn't come. He sent out another round of servants, instructing them to tell the guests, look, everything is on the table. The prime rib is ready. Come to the feast. They only shrugged their shoulders and went off, one to weed his garden, another to work in his shop. The rest had nothing better to do, beat up on the messengers, and some were even killed. The king was outraged, and he sent his soldiers to destroy those thugs and level their city. Then he told his servants, We have a wedding banquet all prepared, but no guests. The ones I invited weren't up for it. Go out into the busiest intersections in town and invite anyone you find to the banquet. And the servants went out into the streets and rounded up everyone they could lay their eyes on, good and bad regardless. And the banquet was on, and every place in the room was filled. When the king entered and looked over the scene, he spotted a person who was not properly dressed and said to them, Friend, how dare you come in here looking like that? And the person was speechless. And the king told his servants, Get him out of here. Tie him up. Ship him off to hell. And make sure that he doesn't get back in. That is what I mean when I say many get invited, but only a few make it. Ow. I don't know about you, but I don't like this story. For years, I did not like this story. And I suppose it was because I was doing what the religious right uh, often accuses us of doing, and that's twisting scripture, right? Because I read this story, and I'm like, well, you know, wait a minute. If Jesus is so inclusive, if God loves everybody, why is he telling this story? First of all, Do you know that if you were to put this story on TV, it would be at least an R-rated story, would it not? I mean, we got a king, and who's the king in this story supposed to be? Supposed to be God. And who's the son supposed to be? Jesus. Okay? I mean, this is the surface understanding of the story. So if the king is God and the son is Jesus, God is throwing a party for what? His son Jesus, our Messiah. And the reaction when people decide not to come to the party is pretty brutal. People got killed. Burned down the cities. 
I want you to think of that the next time that somebody is arguing with you about Scripture and God's love, and they say, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Remember this story, because I'm telling you, on the surface, this is not a good story. It doesn't make sense. Now, I always tell you folks that you need to take things in context, so back up a little bit. Apparently, the author of Matthew has been writing a series of these stories, reporting a series of stories that Jesus told in order to explain what the kingdom of heaven was like. What was it going to be like when they were with God? And, and, and how did God react to the folks? And the story that he told just before that was, um, you know, kind of gross, talking about the cornerstone being laid and, 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 and people tripping over it and shattering and, you know, and then they, they, all of a sudden they're, they're not worth anything either in the kingdom. So what are we doing with this? And especially if you come out of that area of teaching where it says every crossed T and every dotted I and every period in the Bible is God sent and it's correct. And why do we have to hang on to that? Because these were people who had relationships with God. So they must be giving us verbatim what God wants us to know. And if Jesus told this story, then Jesus is playing that part of what, what, what do we call it on TV shows? The good cat, bad cat? You know, on the one hand, he's sitting there saying, all you who are weary, come home. And then he turns right around and tells this story that says, oh, by the way, if you get invited and you don't come, we're going to kick your ass. Oh, and by the way, if you do get invited and you do come, if you're not dressed properly, you're going to get your ass kicked. Really? I mean, there's got to be a better explanation to this, does there not? I told you that in studying for this, I stumbled across a quote that has now become my all-time favorite quote because it fits so good when we start doing exegetical work, when we start trying to understand scripture and the stories. It is uh, a quote from a fellow by the name of John Dominic Croson. He's a uh, theologian. He's a relatively modern theologian. Uh, he's written several books, but here's his quote. My point, once again, is not that those ancient people told literal stories and we are now smart enough to understand them symbolically, but that they told symbolic stories and we are dumb enough to take them literally. Unquote. Well, amen, hallelujah. Because when I read that quote, I decided, because I, I got to tell you folks, I almost did not preach this sermon. I almost ran the other way. We said we were doing this whole series about the hard sayings of Jesus. I looked at this and I said, I do not like this. I don't understand it. There's no way I can explain it. 
And then I realized, wait a minute. What is the symbolism here? Jesus always was talking in symbols, was he not? Didn't he tell us at one point that if your, what is it? If your right hand steals, cut it off. If your eyeball has got lust or something like that, I forgot what it was, pluck it out. He was always taking the world that he lived in and giving them stories that they could understand from their moment in life. Of course the story doesn't make any sense to us. We're not ruled by a king, or at least yesterday when I went to bed we didn't have one. Okay. At any rate, you understand what I'm saying, though? I mean, so how do you get into this? And wedding parties. Y'all been to weddings, amen? Y'all been to weddings. They're, they're quite the thing, right? And have you been to a wedding party where the, the, the father of the bride or the father of the groom or the mother of either of the grooms sat there and said, oh, by the way, you're not dressed right. Get, get the hell out of here. As a matter of fact, weddings, there isn't really a set way to dress anymore, is there? I, I've married couples that were not in what we used to call traditional wedding garb. You know, men were always in tuxedos and women were in a white bridal gown, et cetera, et cetera. So we've kind of gotten away from it. So when we look at this story and we try to understand it, it's like we got to dig a little bit deeper. So I'm going to ask you a question. This is class participation. Who were the original people? Now, you got to think about Jesus' ministry. Remember, you've started communion. So you already remember what Jesus taught. What was his one of his main teaching points? Who was he always looking at when he started to make a point? Where did he start first in these lessons? Bingo! That's it. The temple. The leaders in the temple. And doesn't that make sense? God has gone to, as the Jews in those days saw themselves, they were the chosen people. So God comes to them and said, I got an invitation for you. I have just brought into the world my son who has a direct connection to me and we're going to celebrate the wedding between him and me. You know, in that sense that we're all now going to be wedded. And what was their response? Jesus hit the nail right on the head. Don't you remember when he called them hypocrites? You know, at one point he's quoted as saying, you'll go all across the land to get one convert and then turn him into twice as much a son of hell. And so here come the excuses. And we remember that story where he told the story where the guy wanted to follow Jesus. And there were several things. Well, let me go bury the dead. We, we just had that sermon. So number one in this story, that first invitation is, in fact, to the leaders in the church. Hey, come on back in. There's a new message. And they said, no, that's all right. We've got this. How many times have you heard that? How many times have you heard that in your workplace? You got this great idea. It's going to save time. And you go in and you talk to the boss, and the boss looks at you and goes, no, nah, we got this. Usually... My experience has been with bosses, they don't usually cut you off that cold. The way they cut you off is by saying, well, we don't have money in the budget for that. And there goes your idea, it just dies. And then what is it, six months later, 
a new policy gets announced. And it's the policy that you brought. Hallelujah. <laughs> so that's the first part of this. And so God is not happy in having his invitation rejected. As a matter of fact, some of those people that were given that invitation were killed. Well, that makes sense too, doesn't it? Now, there are those theologians who study this thing that say that Jesus was just trying to be a, a prophet and let you know that he was going to get killed. But you really don't have to look too far back in, in, in history in those days that if you didn't follow those 647 laws and you tried to change that stuff, you would get yourself put out. By the way, how is the easiest way you could get yourself put out of a mainline traditional church today? Facebook. But the bottom line is, I get into more trouble, not for being gay, not for the fact that we work with the homeless, and not for the fact that I'll even occasionally tell people that I am not a Trinitarian kind of guy. I get into trouble when I say, I do not accept salvationist theology. Oh my God, you will think that I have planted a bomb under Christendom and set it off. That's exactly what was going on here, and that was Jesus' point. And there are people that when you mess with their theology, when you mess with their understanding of it, they will get violent. And if you do not believe me, all you have to do is think back to Skokie in the 70s. All you have to do is think about that church in Birmingham, Alabama that was firebombed during the Civil Rights Movement. All you have to do is think about NCC when it first came into existence. 28 of their churches were firebombed and four pastors were assassinated. All for preaching an inclusive gospel. Yeah, Jesus is talking to the leadership here, folks. Now you notice I titled the sermon, It's Your Choice. So I'll just leave this part of the sermon with you. You have to decide whether you're part of that leadership that doesn't want to progress. That doesn't want to bring that message to its true fruition. So, what's he do the next? God says, okay, look, if I can't get the attention of the leaders, then I'm just going to open it up. I'm going to open it up. I'm going to go out to the intersections and tell people that they can come. I don't care what faith you are. I don't care how many husbands and wives you have. I don't care whether you're rich or you're poor. I don't care whether you're sick or healthy. Come on. Well, that's great, isn't it? That fits us, does it not? So where does the problem come? What's with the one who showed up that suddenly this open invitation there was some kind of restriction? There was some kind of, you're not dressed right. Anybody want to take a shot at it? Anybody understand that? Anybody get that? What, is it, what does it feel like? To be standing there, here this open invitation's gone out. We've invited everybody. Except, I'd be okay with that if we were laying it on us that it was the people that got on the guy. But this is supposedly God that says, dude, you're dressed wrong. You don't belong here. What on earth is Jesus trying to tell us? 
Don't feel bad if you haven't got an answer right now. Because it took me four days of digging and looking at Scripture. And you know what? Sometimes we have the answer right in front of us and we don't know it. I'll give you a hint. We have eight core beliefs in this church that we follow. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and in prison and you visited me. When you have done this to the least, you have done this to me. See, Jesus made sure that we all know that we're invited to the party, but he also made sure that he let us know we have a responsibility once we get to the party. You don't get to run around saying, I'm saved, I'm saved, everything is cool with me and God, and then do absolutely nothing. If we're going to be in a relationship with God, it's a two-way street, folks. It requires responsibility in that relationship. God has promised to what? Love us. And we have no excuse for not doing what God requires of us, which is what? Love to love others unconditionally. But what's that phrase? to do justice, to be merciful, and to walk humbly with God. We've got no excuse not to do that because even if we make a mistake in doing that, God forgives us. What is your excuse? My excuse for a lack of forgiveness, a lack of effort for the homeless, for the lack of of really trying hard to get along. You know, yesterday at the uh, opening day for SSL, um, not only am I an umpire, but I'm kind of seen as a community pastor, so they asked me to do the opening prayer. And uh, we also took a moment of silence uh, for Drake Drake, who earlier this year committed suicide. And one of the things that I said to them was, look, folks, we're a community. We are family. Oftentimes, this is the best we've got. Amen? You've got to treat each other as the best you've got. And it was funny. Later in the day, somebody in the ball field got mad about something, and they got right into somebody's face and was yelling at him. And the guy's own teammate grabbed him by the arm and said, did you forget what Pastor Paul said? We're a family. That is why this saying of Jesus is so damn hard. We are invited to love unconditionally, to be forgiving, to be uplifting. But it's the hardest thing you will do 
in your entire life. God bless you.